Welcome to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Yes, here we are on the 4th of July. Happy birthday, America. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, are here. Todd Roberts in Los Angeles. and uh, Happy birthday, Uncle Sam. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. And, uh, I'm a Yankee Doodle <laughs> Well, you know, and yeah. it's amazing that you guys sing that because we are going to celebrate a Yankee Doodle Dandy today. Yeah. And uh, that would be the founder of this program, Emil Franzi. Uh, he was, uh, and he was a dandy. He was a dandy, all right. He was born <laughs> on the 4th of July. And um, <laughs> I remember doing shows with him on his birthday. And he, the music, the music, that was the most important oh, part. Oh, yeah. They got to play some Cohen. George M. Cohen, play some of that. Play any Sousa's Sousa, that you can find. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I just remember that. Anyway, what we're going to do is we're going to reminisce about... Uh, our boss and uh, and our founder, and our founder and dear friend, our mentor. Yes. We we miss him so, dearly. Uh. You usually start the show out, Harry, and I'm going to ask you to be so bold as to let me do it. Yes, and say to you, Harry, mm-hmm. tell us how you met Emil. Okay, this happened. Uh, let's see, I was uh, still I was reporting. I was still in uh, journalism in the in those times. This, w- this would have been the mid-1980s, and I was working at a radio station uh, covering uh, uh, politics, and I go to a county supervisor's meeting, and this guy gets up and starts up one side of the supervisors and down the other side of the supervisors, and I'm he's at the dais, and he's turning red and just gesticulating all kinds of <laughs> stuff about what idiots these supervisors are, and in fact they were, uh, you know, what they were doing, and, and here's how they could make it better if they would only follow his advice. And I'm thinking, who in the hell is this guy? And it was Emil Franzi. And uh, I did not interview him, but I used some of his cuts, I believe, uh, in the story, and I just thought, now this guy is really interesting. Uh. And... Then I, I started, uh, uh, I did some work for United Press International, uh, and I worked at uh, the Tucson Bureau here uh, when there was one, and uh, Franzi also used to write for UPI, and so we'd cross paths in, in there. Um, but uh, that, that, political, that political meeting was the uh, very first time I encountered Emil Franzi. <laughs> and saw the supervisors cringing in, in yeah dread it, it it was it was um yeah i'd never seen anything like that and and, and i thought so, well that's interesting he's an, it was an eternal so, force yeah so then how how was your first meeting what happened where did it happen why did it happen boy i can't remember that jeez you got me on that one. That the memory has gone yeah. on that one. I, I I can only remember when uh, I the started. Show. I started to produce his program, uh, the Inside Track Show, and um, uh, the Voices of the West. And the Voices of the West was still relatively new at that time. When did I start? I moved back to town, twenty oh nine, twenty ten, twenty yeah, either twenty ten or twenty eleven. I started producing. 
Um, oh, I came back before you did. Yeah, in, oh. in, Inside Track and Voices of the West. Well, I had grown up here. I'd oh, left, no. We'd left in 92 and, and skedaddled to Florida. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but um, So, yeah. Uh, and, 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 and when I met... <laughs> when I did his show, there were all kinds of things that were laid out for me. Like, I have to do it in this particular order, that particular order. Cut number 47. Yeah, and... <laughs> That's how Ray Engineeri, the uh, the ops manager at KVOI, uh, he was running that show at the time, and and so that's how he trained me to do it. And I thought, well, this is absurd. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, I, <laughs> I mean, there, I, I can find a better way to build a mouse trap than this. And so I went to Emil and I said, look, I got an idea to do this, this, and this. He says, where do you come up with these ideas? I said, well, fifty years of broadcasting. Okay, do it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I've got something here I want to I want kind of get us off on the 4th of July here because I think this is something that Emil would love to hear. And Daniel Webster spoke these words. Let our objective be our country, our whole country, and nothing but our country. And by the blessing of God, may that country itself become a vast and splendid monument, not of oppression and terror, but of wisdom and peace and of liberty, upon which the world may gaze with admiration forever. Mm-hmm. That's, that, I think those are the kind of words that Emil would speak. Yeah, no, no question about that. I, and as I continued to produce uh, the Inside Track show, and I started to, uh, Emil finally understood where I was coming from with everything uh, from a news perspective. And when he discovered what I had what I had done, and then I had worked at UPI. Then he started to remember who I was, and he uh, gave me latitudes in in finding guests for him. And I, I went because I don't know who was doing it, if he was doing it, or or who or what. I don't know. But uh, I had a number of contacts around the country, and so I started using those and uh, getting him great guests for the show. Yep. And he, I mean. The 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 uh, two o'clock the one o'clock hour was always uh, a free form hour unless there was something really important happening and there was a guest in there. The two o'clock hour, um, the second hour of the show usually talked about state and local issues, and then the third hour of the show was a national perspective. And um, I got him guests. Uh, uh, I had uh, Victor Davis Hanson on the show, uh, Michael Barone. From the Washington Examiner, uh, God, who else? Well, we had all kinds of folks from the Goldwater Institute on, and Amel knew a lot of politicians also, and so he would uh, use use that and get some of the national folks on, um, and also through Bruce Ash, who at the time was Arizona's Republican committeeman uh, for uh, for our state. Those Emil and, and Bruce were very good friends, and um, Bruce had a lot of contacts, obviously, and so that's how we got a lot of things done. But uh, I had a lot of fun doing the. You know, one of the interesting shows. things because I was listening to the show off and on back then. I was mostly I was waiting for Voices of the West to mm-hmm. come on, but uh, a couple of things that impressed me was that you know 
you were included in the show. Your opinion was, he valued your opinion. Yeah. He, he even sought your opinion on some of the topics. I, and and that, was, that was really cool, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's one of the reasons why he asked me if I would be interested in helping him with the Southern Arizona News Examiner. Mm-hmm. And when I found out what the Examiner was all about, I said, you bet. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the other thing, too, which I thought was kind of, because you talked about lining up guests and him bringing in people mm-hmm. that he knew, but uh, the people that called in, some of the people that called in were pretty much some heavyweights, and these were mm-hmm. guys that were regular listeners, yeah. but they were still heavyweights. Yeah. It yeah. wasn't it wasn't a, you know a fluke or a one time no. personality appearance. No, no. It, it, it Don Diamond, who uh, used to be a big time developer around here, uh, Emil could call him up and have him on the show. Mm-hmm. You no, know, without or he would call in uh, former supervisor Ray Carroll who's now Justice of the Peace down in Green Valley area, he would call in the show frequently. Uh, you know, so, um, yeah. You know, it's interesting that you mentioned Ray Carroll, because I have a quote here from oh. Ray Carroll about Emil. Emil Francie had a combative intolerance for hypocrisy, <laughs> fake news, and political indifference. Yes, he did. Yes. Yes, he did. <laughs> and and, yeah, yes, yes, he did. And he, yeah, he, he and he would not accept any of those things in the Western genre either. Yes. And no, I, I have no, a I have a he, clip yeah. that I'm going to play a little later of of Emil talking about in a review of a program that was on television and how he <laughs> it, it's classic Emil. <laughs> well, you know, there was this one lady that used to call in all the time. You know who I'm talking about, yeah. and she was she thought she was the smartest political <laughs> wizard in the world, and he let her go for a while, and then at, at some point he would just. Lay into her, and 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 just tell her how really stupid and wrong she was, and he wasn't he wasn't being a gentleman about it. No, he, he wasn't. Was be, he was being you know political infighting. Franzi had uh, no. When, yeah. when when I was in the service, we used to have uh, we used to have folks that we would call the Cooth NCO. And those were usually folks who did not have any couth um, and, and were not afraid to spout off, and, and that was Frenzy. Gunny uh, Sergeant. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, you know, so, Todd, how did you meet Emil? I, I imagine it was uh, uh, during the Monty Walsh uh, stuff, right? Well, yeah, I, 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 I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. I went to uh, uh, Jim, uh, Jim McMillan's uh, uh, birth. Uh, Jim McMillan had a. He had a party every summer at his house. He's got a little piece of horse property up in uh, up in Burbank, uh, very close to the LA Equestrian Center. And he was part of the uh, Algonquin Cowboy Lunches, which uh, R- Rob Word is part of. Mm-hmm. In fact, Rob Word created the Algonquin Cowboy Lunches. And, and uh, the Hole in the Wall Gang. Uh, right, right, with Phil Spangenberger and Al Frisch. And uh, Al Fleming, and uh, a few other fellows, Martin Cove, uh, Dan Gaglia- Galeasso, uh, who we had on the show, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in those is part of that, um, and a, a very interesting group of guys. And um, and uh, I w- was at one of the lunches, and uh, Jim said, "Hey, Todd, I haven't seen you in a while. You got to come to my barbecue." So I was like. 
uh, okay, that'd be great. And uh, when, Jim was like many people who was all in the cowboy world, was always very nice to me and gracious, but when he found out my father made Monty Walsh, um, I thought he wanted to kiss me with more than his lips. <laughs> so um, he just was, and and to such an extent, he said, you know, he would get going about Monty Walsh, and, and, and do you know that I have a poster in my barn of Monty Walsh? It's hanging in my barn, and it's all, oh, you don't want to see it. I said, really, that's fabulous. That was so sweet of you. Jim. Oh no, Todd! It's my favorite film, and but you, I can't show it to you because it's all water stained <laughs> and it's all faded and it's all beat up and it's this. And I said, Jim, we're gonna have to get you a new one. Oh, you <laughs> thought that I that I was going to introduce him to, you know, his to God, <laughs> yeah, the Red Sea, yeah, or give him a new horse, you know, <laughs> and. So I go to his birthday and uh, his barbecue, and I walk. I'm walking around. It was a very interesting party. I saw a woman there that I had gone on a couple dates with, uh -oh. which you uh, ended uh, very abruptly, um, <laughs> which was a little strange. Um, and a lot of the uh, guys from the cowboy lunch, including Michael Blake, our good friend, who's a guest of the show, used to be a regular on the panel back mm -hmm. in the old days right. of the show. And he said, we started talking, and and um, I said to Michael, you know, you still owe me a copy of your book, Code of Honor. And he said, oh, well, Todd, uh, <laughs> I didn't think you really wanted it, or something to that effect. I said, Michael, just because you say that uh, you always wanted to put uh, Monty Walsh in there as the fourth film, but you didn't. It's only about three films. It's okay. I still want a copy of the book. It's a great book. It's on uh, uh, the 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 common thread of honor from the searchers <laughs> high right. noon to shame. Yeah, Guilt. and he says, "Well, wow, Todd, that's really nice of you." He goes, "But I have to tell you, I'm still waiting for my copy of Monty Walsh DVD autographed." And I was oh, like, wait, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 hold on a second. You know, where is this coming from? And he said, well, and to only make it, uh, to only uh, Michael in his, you know, he's he was an actor for so many years. His father was a vaudevillian and right. an actor, so was his mother. He's got a, he's very eloquent. His t He's he's his tongue is, uh, is a French foil. <laughs> and he said to me, uh, and to only make matters worse for you, uh, I'm going to introduce you to Emil Franzi. <laughs> because he he has a show called Voice of the West. And he'd love to do a show on Monty Walsh. And I said, oh, I don't know, Michael. Uh, hold on a second. What do you, I mean, come on. Nobody wants to listen to me on the radio. I'm not the producer. He said, Todd, just shut up, Okay. Stop talking now so you can be talking on the show. <laughs> and the next thing you know, he puts me in touch with Emil. And my first conversation kind of goes like, Hey, Tiger, what are you doing? Okay, so what we're going to do is boom, 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 boom. And it's going to be great. So you get it together and be ready and uh, I'll call you. Okay? Right. See you later. Uh, Click. Yep. <laughs> and I'm like... <clears throat> what I happened? I kind of felt like I, I felt like I, yeah. What happened? I felt like I was the guy 
with the mail bag and yes. the train comes along, yes. grabs the mail bag and leaves you there at the station. Yes. Like there's there's no there's no new mail, no return mail, right. no yep. no no hello, nothing. And it and it took and, your pants at the same time too. Yeah. Yeah. He yes. would, <clears throat> he would yeah. when he would telephone me, it was in that same fashion. And yeah. uh, I mean, sometimes I didn't know if he was pissed off or if he was happy. You or, couldn't tell. Uh, yeah, right. You no, know, right, <laughs> right. And so I did the show, and he goes, and he calls me a few days before the show, and he says, "Hey, I got to talk to you." So he left me a message. So I call him back. I'm like, "Uh oh, we got a problem." He goes, "Listen, I got to talk to you." I said, oh, "Okay, uh, what's going on?" He goes, "Well, I did something, and I, I, I hope you don't. Uh, I hope you're not offended." I said, uh, no, I, you know, I, what, what, what's, what's going on? He says, I called, I got Pam Marvin on the phone, and she's going to do the show with us. Is that okay with you? I said, well, of course, Emil, it's Lee's widow. I mean, you know, um, she's a nice person. She's a nice lady, and and just so you know, she is the mother of my. Verde Valley School classmate Carrie, and he says, "What? <laughs> Are you telling me you know his wife alone?" I said, no, "That's not what I said. What I said was Lee married this woman, and she had some children, and he basically raised that little girl from the time she was about nine years old. She's only a year younger than me." Mm-hmm. And he says, "Oh my God! Well, is there going to be punch?" <laughs> okay, talk to you later. Click. And so yeah. I just, you know, it, then I realized that, like you said, Harry and Bunker, that this was his style. Yeah. You know, he, he came in, he, you know, he hit you like a whirlwind. He threw at you whatever it was. He didn't really, he didn't maybe have the time for a response. No. I'm going to plant the seed with you. Maybe you figure it out. Maybe you don't. Yeah, on the no. next time back around, we'll talk about it again. Yeah, yeah. And he's on to the next whatever it is. Big you time. Know? Oh, his yeah. line was so I, quick. Yeah. Yeah, it, yeah, very, very quick. I don't think so he could keep track. So we did the show, yeah. and we ent- eventually, uh, he then called me and said after the show about a couple days later, hey, Tiger, I got something to uh, talk to you about. I said, okay, uh, okay, what's, what's going on? He goes, well, I've decided that Monty Walsh should be the movie for the uh, Empire Ranch this, this year. And uh, we're going to have a panel, and you're going to come speak <laughs> with you and Bob from Old Tucson, uh, 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 Pam Marvin, uh, and some other people. So I said, great. He goes, don't worry, I'm putting you up, and we're going to have a great time. So I said, okay, that sounds like a good time to me. And uh, we do this, and... Uh, we had uh we met uh pam for breakfast or something uh and we were talking and uh afterwards they're at one end of the table i'm over here with my buddy who i brought with me chris warren who's a real cowboy he lives in santa fe and in phoenix and then some other people bo bo hopkins was with us i he he came onto the panel and uh amos we get up, and Abel's looking at me, and he's giving me this weird eye. You know, he's like trying to pull me over. You know, get over here, kind of like Red Fox. You know, on Sanford, and, and and I'm like, uh, okay, what what did I do now? You know, 
did I did I drink too much or something here at lunch? And I walk over and he goes, okay, keep it on the QT, but we're going over to Pam Marvin's house for tea. I hope you like tea because I like tea and we're going to go drink some tea. And I'm like, uh, we're going to go to Pam Marvin's house right now? He goes, all right, tomorrow. So the next thing you know, we get in the car and we follow her up and, and we get up into the house and we're in this magnificent kitchen. The house is beautiful. It's the house Lee Marvin lived in till he passed. Mm -hmm. And I said, um, Pam, he, she, I kind of had been wandering around the house. She got a phone call and we were all kind of left to ourselves and we're wandering around the house and I kept looking for... Uh, this room that I knew existed that had the Marlins in it. Ah. Because she is the female world record holder Marlins, for huh? the black Marlin. And uh, catching a black Marlin. And Lee was like number three or four in the world at the time. So I didn't see this room. And I saw a lot of other great rooms, don't get me wrong. But once she got off the phone, I said, you know, Pam, I... I have to ask you where that room is. And she said, oh, would you like to see it? I said, it's maybe one of my dreams. <laughs> I always wanted to see it when Lee was alive, but that never happened, so here I am. So we're walking around the house, and we she's giving us this tour, and we go into the living room, and there's this gorgeous couch with a chair. And it's all this, it's all leather. And I'm feeling it, and I'm like, my God, this is really familiar to me. Why is this so familiar? She goes, well, that's, uh, that's made by the uh, Stuart Boot Company. Oh. Lee liked his boots so much, he had them make him a couch wow. and a chair to yeah. match his boots. And I'm like, oh, my God, you don't know what this means, but this is the only boot my dad liked to wear. <laughs> this is, my dad had... At the time, my dad was gone, but he, we, I have those boots, mm -hmm. and and I, it was just really poignant. So then we eventually, she took us outside across the patio to this room that was kind of like a almost like a looked to me like a storage room or a garage. It was yeah. probably kind of high, probably twenty feet high, the walls. And we walk, we kind of go around the other side, and we walk down in there. And it's Lee's screening room and where the fish are. Mm. And I, he said, I, I was like, oh, my God, this is a great room. She goes, well, Lee had this custom built because he wanted the fish to be displayed, but he wanted them high enough so no, uh, uh, I forget the word she used, but she said it was a word that Lee used to use. Like she didn't, he didn't want any uh, boneheads touching the fish. <laughs> so they're mounted higher than, like even Wilt Chamberlain or Shaquille O'Neal could reach up wow. and touch them. They're wow. too high, yeah. and you can see them, and they're beautiful. Yeah. And then there's just a beautiful screening uh, room there too. There's a piano, I believe. And then lastly, the only piece of art that I thought was so interesting there was a original uh, U.S. Marine uh, 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 recruiting poster mm. from World War II. Hey, guys, we got to do our uh, first commercial break here. We're a bit past that. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. We are celebrating Emil Franzi. Today would have been his birthday. He was a Yankee Doodle Dandy. So we'll be back with much more right here on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. 
Do stay tuned. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallionranch.com or call 520-297-0252. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club has served Southern Arizona since its original incorporation in 1948. We have a 9,000 square foot clubhouse with a restaurant and lounge and we're open year round for all your sporting needs. Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Come out and join us at our world-renowned facility located here in the Old Pueblo, Tucson Trap and Ski Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. For more information, call 883-6426. As we recognize the service of America's men and women in uniform, let's also honor the families who sacrifice so much every day. Military families endure frequent deployments and separations. They carry on while their loved ones are sent into harm's way and wait patiently for their safe return. If you really want to honor a veteran, look for ways to support their families and thank them for their sacrifices. Go to legion.org slash honor veterans to find out how you can help. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond check and stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Read classic Western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net. We are back on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Or the Fourth of July. I thought we were in a fairyland there for a second with that music. It's the old. It's the old. It would have been the old man's birthday today, yeah. and uh, that music there is uh, just some movie music that we know that he would uh, yeah. thoroughly love oh, <laughs> to God. listen what to. A, what a yes. knowledge! I used so, to enjoy those. Shows I only so wanted to tell you that story because that was all happened only because of Amel. Uh, it had nothing to do with me. Amel, can I add a footnote to that? Literally met her, and all of a sudden, next thing you know, she just opened up everything for us. Yeah. 
And, you know, his commentary was so funny. Like when she said, you know, Lee didn't like anybody touching the fish. You know, so he put it up so high the boneheads couldn't touch it. Or something to that effect. And Amel said, well, you can always depend on a bonehead. Well, you know, know, he had that quick, dry wit. Yes, yes, he did. There's a a great story connected with those fishes. Uh, When you'd go in there... The room, you'd see the, you know, because if you come to the door, there'd be a fish on the wall opposite you, and you'd see it. It's a huge fish. And everybody would be just be marveled with the fish. And he says, That's my fish. Then they'd each say, But over there and behind him, over the door, was Pam's fish, and it was bigger than his. <laughs> and he was so proud yes. of it. Well, we've got, uh, as, uh, uh, Todd, you've mentioned Mike Blake in uh, the last segment, and there is another Mike Blake, um, and he's uh, uh, an author as well, Definitely. and uh, he, he, wrote, uh, he wrote this book that uh, turned into uh, uh, a movie that we won't, yes. we won't talk about the description of that movie, but it uh, uh, da- Dances with Wolves is the uh, author's uh, book. And his name is Michael Blake, and this is Emil interviewing him uh, July 2nd of 2011. So, enjoy. Come on. Come on. My guest, and for the this audience, I hope you won't be offended if I say the other Mike Blake, because Michael F. Blake, who's written a number of books on, um, on Hollywood stars and Hollywood and the OK Corral, and is the son of Joe Blake, who was a character actor, who was the uh, bartender in High Noon, among other things, and he, who himself has an Emmy for some of his makeup work, um, is a regular on this show and a good friend of mine. Oh, so that's very cool. So we call so you are his namesake, or he is yours, and you're the better known one in general for having written a book called Dances with Wolves. Correct. And we need to go back and remind the audience how that happened because it's a fascinating story in itself you were a writer and you had sold that book before you ran into Costner am I correct uh no you're completely incorrect okay. I met Kevin Costner in 1981 oh okay uh, he did his first film and I had written it for the director who ended up being the producer of Dances oh. with Wolves okay so Kevin and I have known each other for 30 years. Oh, okay. But uh, what happened after that, um, uh, Kevin Costner was seen as someone who could be a film star by Hollywood. So he started moving up. But the film that uh, uh, J.M. Wilson made uh, didn't go very far anywhere, uh, not because the screenplay was necessarily bad. It just wasn't a film that went out in a big way what was the film it was called uh, double down originally and it was about a, a young woman who was trying to go up to reno nevada and learn how to uh uh do things in in a big place with uh cards that could earn her a ton of money and uh uh Kevin helped her and so on and so forth. He died in the film. But uh, after that, I started writing screenplays. I, I was in Hollywood. I started writing a lot of screenplays. And, uh, but for grade C producers, uh, they, I, would, I would write things that I thought were very good and they thought were very good, but they couldn't get them made. And finally, uh, there was a, 
a company <clears throat> called New World that was uh, uh, a pretty big uh, uh, film company there in, in Los Angeles. And I went over and met with a guy. I rode a bus over and met with a guy. And a, a big producer came in. And he shook my hand and asked me to come into his room. And we talked for five minutes. And he said, okay, well, that's it. See you later. And I just left. I knew I wasn't getting any job. But a couple of weeks later, that producer called me. It was shocking. And told me he was going to direct a film. And I said, well, congratulations. He said, yeah, but there's a big problem. The screenplay's horrible. Do you think you could rewrite it? I said, how long till you start shooting? He said, two weeks. I said, well, if you come in every day and we go over everything I've done, I'll try it. And we did it. And when I went up to his studio, everyone there who was getting ready to make the film hugged me. And uh, several of them kissed me, thanking me so much for writing a screenplay that was going to make a great film. But a week later, the director called me back, sounding like his family had gone off the road somewhere. And I said, what's the matter? And he said, they dropped the film at New World. And I said, what happened? He said, the president read it. Yeah. Well, what did he say? He said it was too intelligent has to go down. So after that, I decided I wouldn't write screenplays. But I read, <laughs> I read Bury My Heart at Wounded Knee again. When uh -huh. I was a, a associate editor at the Los Angeles Free Press, I had read it about 15 years before. But when I read it again, it blew my mind. And I started going all around L.A., picking up uh, uh, books about Indian life in, in the American West. And I read over a hundred books, and then I got some ideas, and I started to to write a book because Kevin told me, "Don't you dare write a screenplay, Michael. They'll end up in a big stack of nothing. So write a book, write a book." Two weeks later, I decided to write my first book, which was Dances with Wolves. Not bad for a first book, my friend. I didn't have a home or a phone. I rode around L.A. in my car for almost a year, uh, hanging out at friends' houses, sleeping overnight at their places, and stuff like that. And that's how that all happened. That's a uh, great story. Yeah, <laughs> great story. And, you know, it's so funny. I knew, and Todd knows the same way. I had so many friends and people I knew that went through that same experience of mm -hmm. living in their car. I had one buddy that was a songwriter. Yeah. And him and his dog, and it's funny because he got a part on a show, because he was also an actor. But they said you, you know, you need you, your dues are expired. You need to bring your card up to date, mm. and nobody would help him. Mm. So I gave him the money, and that's something I'd never do. I'm just, I, but he was an old cowboy, mm -hmm. I, I, and I, I, I appreciated his friendship and his honesty. Mm -hmm. And I gave him the money, and I didn't expect to ever see it back. He did the show, uh, got his check, and the first thing he did after he got the check, before he fed himself or the dog, he paid me back. There you go. Hey, we're gonna wow. we got to do another break Can here. You hear? 
uh, we got can you hear me hearing yes we got we got you very uh, loud and clear todd okay because i didn't it wasn't registering on the ah well my that, little oh, thing here yeah i had me. muted i had muted when i because i'm playing in these through the computer here so i had to do some some fancy muting but in any event we're gonna uh take our uh, another break here and when we come back we'll uh, talk about uh uh, what Abel thought of others, and uh, and, and well, <laughs> that, that goes. Get out, get out the lead gloves and the yeah. asbestos. That, that's deep. Uh, <clears throat> Abel Francis, Voice of the West. We will be back. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club has served Southern Arizona since its original incorporation in 1948. We have a 9,000 square foot clubhouse with a restaurant and lounge, and we're open year-round for all your sporting needs. Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday from 7.30 a.m. to 1 p.m. Come out and join us at our world-renowned facility located here in the Old Pueblo, Tucson Trap and Ski Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway. For more information, call 883-6426. Hello, I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right, it's called Horses Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horses Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horses Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horses Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horsesatroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horsesatroundrescue.org. 
Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show. And may the odds be ever in your favor. And have a From the Cutting Room Floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zealots. Until then, that's a wrap. Hey, this is Robert Fuller, uh, Jess Harper from Laramie, and we're listening to the Voices of the West. This is the Voices of the West. Yes, we are back on Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. Whenever you hear that uh, high chaparral music there, you know things are good, right? There are things are good. Amo <laughs> loved that show. That's right. Uh, let's see. We're talking about Emil uh, Franzi, our founder of this program, Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. And Emil um, was good friends with uh, a former congressman of Arizona by the name of Sam Steiger. Sam was, uh, his, his backstory is he, he was an Easterner who always wanted to be a cowboy. Well, he moved out to Arizona in the uh, early 1950s and became a cowboy. He did, and uh, then he uh, served in a variety of public office, and it was a congressman for a while. He was mayor of Prescott for a while, I believe. And one of the stories I remember Franzi telling about Sam was, Sam wanted to see a uh, no. There was the town is Prescott, I think. Someplace in there, they wanted a crosswalk, and the state said, "No, you don't need a crosswalk," and. Steiger said, that's BS, and he went out and painted a crosswalk. There you go. He got in trouble for it, but that's the kind of guy he was. And That's how you get things done in yeah. Arizona. And th- this is from uh, September 29 of uh, 2012, uh, Amel talking about his, uh, his good friend Sam Steiger. Give a listen. Hi there. Welcome to Voices <laughs> of the West. Uh, I'd like to dedicate this hour to the memory of a late cowboy. Congressman Sam Steiger, 1966 to 1976, from Prescott, Arizona, one of the great horse ranchers, among other things. A guy who was born in Brooklyn, New York, and as a little kid, uh, always wanted to be a cowboy and came west and really was one up in Prescott. And, and it's amazing how some people can go native. And anyhow, he was a dear to uh, Todd Robertson, Cotton Smith, who just joined us, guys. He was a dear friend of mine. He just passed away at 83, and uh, uh, some of the stories uh, you'd never believe. <laughs> uh, trust me. Uh, anyway, uh, the burrow shooting was probably part of it. You know, the, the two burrows he claimed attacked him back in 1975, and he had to put them away. And he always said, and it was that way today in his obituary in the Arizona Republic had let off with shooting burrows. He said, I can find a cure for cancer, be the first man on Mars. And the Encyclopedia Britannica referred to me as Sam Steiger, comma, known for shooting burrows. That's the kind of guy that uh, Frenzy was. <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of people you admire. And it, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just it's too funny. Yeah. When um, uh, in... in uh, 2014, Emil received word uh, that uh, 
he and the show were up for an award yes. with the Western Riders of America. And much to Emil's surprise, uh, he won the uh, Western Riders of America Lariat Award back in 2014. And uh, in fact, this is the only radio program to ever receive that award. And you know, what's, what's really interesting is that to get the Lariat Award is actually harder than getting a spur. The Lariat Award is uh, given to the uh, uh, individual or organization that does whatever it takes to keep the Western genre the most, alive. The most outstanding, outstanding contribution yes. to the, the year. To, yes, and the program was the outstanding contribution because of all the people that Emil would interview uh, on this show, uh, and I mean, God, the, the stuff I, I thought I knew a lot, <laughs> but mm -hmm. the stuff I learned listening uh, on this program was like, wow. This, this program is an encyclopedia. You know, for me, it's one of the greatest learning experiences of my life, which yeah. I owe to Emil. Well, I want to play this clip here of, uh, uh, he's got uh, somebody from Western Riders, I think it's Melody Groves, and uh, talking about the upcoming convention and, and Emil's humility here, Emil's oh, humility here on uh, receiving this award, so uh, pretty good cut, I think. Here we go. Hi there, welcome to Voices of the West. Our guest, uh, an old regular, Melody Groves, how are you, doll? I'm fine. How are you doing? Good. You're still over there in New Mexico. We, I, we, yes, I am still in Albuquerque. It's nice and warm over here, but then it's probably warm where you are, too. How warm are you? I think we're about 97, 98. Yeah, what are we? We're close to that. It sounds like something we're else is trying to come We're going to chat about in. what is your exact role these days with Western Writers of America? I am a cool member of Western Writers. Okay. No, actually, I uh, the only title I've got right now is I am a contributing editor for the Roundup, which is our newsletter. Okay. Well, a little more in the newsletter because I'm holding it in my hand. It's really, a, really kind of a 48-page magazine. And it is a magazine. Got a lot of great stuff in it, and a lot of stuff about what's going on with uh, with uh, well, in a number of areas. Uh, Besides having pieces like, oh, Huntington Library and getting lost in a high-tech world and all the rest of that, and, of course, telling us and what we're going to discuss mostly on this hour is the um, the um, annual Sacramento meeting, uh, the annual meeting that's being held this time in Sacramento, annual convention. What is the exact title for that event, by the way? Uh, Western Writers of America Convention. Convention, yeah, there we go. <laughs> and uh, that's what we're all going to be doing next week, and I'm going to be there Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, uh, uh, being honored by you people, which really makes me, uh, makes my day, makes my decade. <laughs> but I haven't won an award since I got an expert's badge for shooting an M1 carbine in the Air Force someplace <laughs> back in the 60s. Oh my goodness, well you deserve it. Yeah, you absolutely deserve this award. <laughs> oh, gee, I really appreciate that from you guys because I, I think you're a, a, a superb organization that does a whole lot to keep uh, what we all want to keep going. Yep, that's uh, that's Amol. Mm -hmm. 
We're going to take our final break here, and then when we come back, we're going to talk, uh, have a, a piece here uh, with uh, Emil dissecting um, uh, some Western history. <laughs> it's a good one. So do stay tuned. Harry Alexander, Bunker to France, and Todd Roberts. We'll be right back after these. Arizona, the land of cattle, copper, and cowboys. It's also the true west where a large number of westerns were filmed. For your next vacation, come out to where Wyatt Earp made a name for himself as a highly respected sheriff. Stay where Jimmy Stewart filmed Winchester 73. That would be the White Stallion Ranch. Situated in the mountains just northwest of Tucson, the White Stallion Ranch is an award-winning dude ranch with 43 guest rooms and a hacienda. That's a five-bedroom, three-bathroom home, perfect for larger families, family reunions, and girlfriend getaways. Every guest room has a private patio with views of the cactus gardens, mountains, or corrals. Generous floor plans offer sunny, comfortable rooms, but you won't want to stay in your room. Outdoor activities are plentiful at the White Stallion Ranch. Horseback riding, hiking, shooting, archery, rock climbing, e-biking, and a weekly ranch rodeo are among the numerous activities that you'll enjoy on your ranch vacation. Go Western for your next getaway. The White Stallion Ranch. Book your vacation now online at whitestallion.com or call 520-297-0252. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. I'm S. Wilkinson Investments. They're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those who have served in the U.S. Army. The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldier's Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org. The Tucson Trap and Ski Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Watch classic Western movies anytime at VoicesOfTheWest.net. We are back on Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. We are remembering our founder, Amal Franzi. Today would have been his birthday, and I'm not even going to make a stab at how many years it would be. Well, let's see, 78. He's two years younger, than, two years older than me. Two years. So I make him around 82 today. Oh, my 82. goodness sakes. Yeah. Well, so, 
uh, you guys have heard this story many times, and I'll tell it very quickly only because I think it encapsulates uh, our friend, for me, better than any other story I know. I took him, uh, he called me and said, I'm going to the Western Writers Association Conference in yeah. Sacramento, and, and uh, I'm driving, and you want to come with me? I said, sure, I'd love to come now, with you. That'd now. be great. And uh, so he drives from Tucson to L.A. and picks me up, and we drive on out to Sacramento. And uh, we get a hotel room. We're all good. Everything's set up. We're having a great time. And I said, uh, if I go to Sacramento, I have to do two things. I have to go to the train museum, and I have to go see my friend of many years, John Perez, who is the Speaker of the House of the State of California, a liberal Democrat. <laughs> and uh, Emil says, well, I've already seen the train museum, but I'd love to go to the Capitol with you. I said, okay, um, we're going to take pictures. He said, okay, good, because I want a picture. So I said, great. So I put on slacks and a dress shirt and a blazer, and I'm ready to go. <laughs> and I go over to Emil's room, and I pick him up, and he's in uh, jeans that were too big for him because yep. he had gone through all the chemo. Right. So he had to have this special belt on yep. that like reminded me of the belt that Donald Crisp wore in How Green Was My Valley. Yeah. And it like held up your... The belt was probably two inches wide, two inches high. It was so wide, and he had the the pants were come sprouting out out beyond the buckle of the the belt all the way around. It was like they were growing. The yeah. pants were like growing, and they were like so baggy. And he had on a snap button shirt, and I thought, okay, uh, we're gonna go meet the speaker of the house, and we're gonna take a picture. On the floor of the Capitol building of the state of California, and I'm dressed the way I am in a yep. like I'm going to out to dinner with my grandmother on Sunday night, uh -huh. and he looks like he's going to go to the Silver Saddle and have a few beers. Uh -huh. And uh, we show up, and uh, we walk in, and uh, you know, there's all this commotion, and you know, there's. Uh, 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 highway Patrol are the are the security at the Capitol building, so we have to go through the first line of defense, which is the entryway. Then we have to go to there's a half a wall that goes up about halfway up uh, your torso, and you have to get by that guy. Then you have to go into the office. There's a little waiting room in the front offices. Then there's two secretarial areas, mm -hmm. and then there's the speaker's office. And we have to get through those people, and all the assistants are running around. And oh yes, and Mr. Perez, Mr. Perez is ready for you, Mr. Roberts. And and who is this? I said, well, this is my associate, uh, Mr. Emil Franzi. Uh, you know, hi, how you doing? And you know, so it's just I'm I'm thinking to myself, oh no, Todd, Todd, oh, what have you done? We're going in to see John Perez. He's very a very very liberal Democrat. And I'm bringing with me in tow um, one of the most conservative people I know. Right. And we walk into his office, and all of a sudden there's this 
new commotion of these little interns and assistants all running around, and they all have pads and pens, and oh, and your name, sir, yes, and your name, sir, yes, and you're here to see, and you're here, and they're running back and forth, and then John comes, makes, John has his own bedroom, dressing room, bathroom, shower oh attached to his office. Jeez. His office is literally... Uh, you know, the woodwork in the office is something out of a, uh, a fantasy of all three of us couldn't even imagine. Mm. And the desk and, and just the antiques, it's unbelievable. And he comes waltzing out of the, his little private room, which is honestly bigger than my condo. Yeah. His little private room, Harry, is yeah. bigger than the yeah. condo. Yeah. And you know how big that is. Yes, I do. So he comes walking out of there and he's, you know, he does his... He, Put, arranges his tie and his coat and Todd, Todd, how are you? And, and they're all running around. Yes, Mr. Roberts is here. Yes, yes. And Mr. Franzi's here too. And John looks up. Mr. Franzi? And Mr. Franzi, who are you? He goes, well, you know, it's a funny thing that I'm here <laughs> because you know, I've been involved in politics oh, God. Uh, most of my life. Yeah. This is, this is this is where I spent most of my professional life. I won't say that I had fun here, but this is where I, you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a political operator. I, oh, really? And 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 where would that be? Well, now I live in Arizona, but I grew up in Glendale. Oh, okay, all right. Well, fabulous. So we all sit down. We're in these big, huge, plush chairs in this gorgeous room. We're sitting down, and John's, you know, making small talk with me, and we're going back and forth, and I'm giving him some wishes of people here in L.A. that wanted to say hello to him, mutual friends. I have a gift for him, a box of cigars from one friend. I have a gift certificate from a store here in L.A. of another friend, and so on. And John and I are catching up. And in the middle of all this, and, and I literally, and I'm looking around, and all these little intern assistant people they're they're literally hanging on every word <laughs> as if as if i'm important which i know i'm not and all of a sudden somebody's phone starts ringing and it's a loud ring it's a cell phone and it's a loud ring and john's face just changes i mean he's smiling he's happy and his face goes to a scowl like I'm glad I didn't have to answer to it. And you know, everybody's looking at everybody, who whose phone is that? Whose phone is that? And Angel goes, Ah, it's mine. Ah, sorry. <laughs> and he pulls his phone out of his pocket and he goes, he he opens it up and he looks at it and he goes, Ah, sorry fellas, I gotta take this. So he gets up and they're like, and he gets up and he starts to walk out of the front door of the office to go back out through the end. And they're like, no, no, no. And they escort him into John's private quarters. And Emil's in there and he's sitting there and I continue on with, with John and we talk. And I'm trying to keep my train of thought of why we were talking about some different uh, projects that I'm working on that maybe he could be involved in one way or another. And. But it's still a big pothole mentally, and I'm trying to keep myself together and everything to where I don't lose consciousness, I don't lose my train of thought, I, I keep the momentum going. And finally, 
And it's a good 10 minutes. I mean, it's a long call. Mm -hmm. And here comes Emil, and he walks in, and he goes, Sorry, fellas. <laughs> you know, John, it's funny, because that was your... Uh, uh, that was your compadre on the other side of the aisle from Arizona. <laughs> <laughs> and John, I, I didn't know what to think. He just had this look on his face of, like, you know, Todd, are you trying to kill me? <laughs> you know, uh, and John was gracious about it all and so on. He said, well, um... Is it time now to take our picture? <laughs> and we were like, yes, that's great. So we go out, and all of a sudden now we have a uh, highway patrol, four highway patrolmen escorting us down to the floor of the assembly. Yeah. And we take our photo, and then uh, we take that photo, and Emil and I are like, okay, well, John, thank you so much. He goes, oh, no, 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 Todd. No, no, no. Now we're going to go over to the Senate side, and we're going to take our photo there. Mm. And I'm like, Emil, uh, I, I, I said, John, I, I don't want to, we, we don't want to take up any, are you kidding? This is my pleasure. And I just, it was just one of those surreal moments where I'm looking at Emil and I'm going, you know, normally in any other situation politically, you guys would be, you know, taking sledgehammers yep. at each other. But here, uh, you're, you're both perfect gentlemen. And I thought I was at a croquet match. Yeah. Uh, you know. Even though Emil was dressed, uh, you know, and I, and I said to him when I saw him in that outfit at the back of the hotel, I said, uh, and I looked at him and he looked at me back and he said, listen, kid, I know what you're thinking. Go buy some new jeans. You know what? I refuse because I'm going to do my best to get fat. Yep. Oh, and I boy. said, okay, all right. So you don't want to get a new pair of jeans? Hell no. You know, you got to realize I'm part Italian and part French. I'm going to eat as much as I can. Yeah. <laughs> so I said, okay, there you go. So that was just, that yeah. That was one of those indelible memories for me about Emil that just, it's, it's, it, I'll remember it to the day I die. We have, I treasure we have tons of memories, all of us do, and uh, we'll share them again uh, when we do this again, because we will. And undoubtedly, we will uh, be talking about Franzi from time to time, and uh, one of these stories will come up. So we're just going to leave it at that and say that's all the time we got for today. Adios. So Adios. long. We'll talk at you next week. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.